Welcome to the Ready Set Crypto Podcast. Do you expect us to talk? I, you'll be shaken and stirred. Now meet your hosts, Doc and Mav. Views and opinions heard on the Ready Set Crypto Podcast are not necessarily the opinion of this company nor its management. Material on this program is for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I'm with Lior Gantz, who is the editor of Wealth Research Group. Lior describes himself as a deep value investor researching businesses, trends, and assets that are off the radar and either forgotten, unloved, or unknown to most investors. Every time I either talk or listen to Lior, I learn something new, as he always has a very unique perspective, one that will challenge traditional ways of thinking. Hello again, Lior, and welcome to Ready, Set, Crypto. Where are you calling in from today? Hey, I'm in Park City, Utah right now. Park City, Thanks Utah. Every every time I talk to you, you are at somewhere else. You're you're a uh, you're the uh, what's what's the term for that? Not a vagabond, but uh, a digital nomad. <laughs> I guess is what I'm looking for. So you yeah, you kind of exemplify um, the digital nomad life. Yeah, I I am with my wife and and uh, daughter, so definitely uh, it's a it's a family uh, nomad. Oh, that's that's great. So what are you seeing in crypto right now? What's um you know here we are. It's early February of twenty. 19 we've we've made it through the bear market so far what are you seeing as the hot buttons right now for this industry and what are you expecting for 2019 um well first of all i think um you know what happened in 2017 was a unforgettable year but also it's 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 going to be a rare year um so the the fast the level of fascination the level of um, anticipation and, and speculation was uh, really unreserved. Um, you'd had you have companies that or or ICOs or coins it doesn't matter that had very little to offer in ways of um, real um, assets, but they had an idea, and those ideas were really um, valued to a point that they were unsustainable. Uh, and therefore, other bidders that came in after um, the existing ones took prices up too far, too far, just didn't allow themselves to get carried with this. And so it just reached a point where buyers just do not want to pay anymore. But um, it, it, once that happens, obviously, it's, it's a top for every market. It can be an orderly top or it can be really a blow-off top. And what happened with um, uh, with Bitcoin as, as the prime uh example was a blow off top you just saw it crashing 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 and then settling at some point where uh you know uh, people with uh with, with less of a speculative angle and more of a uh, longer term position thinking hey this is a, a, just a project that i want to get involved with over the long term i think that this is a great price to enter i've came in and and and, and let me caveat this Bitcoin started trading for a one cent, which was too low. So it started undervalued, uh, tremendously undervalued, and therefore going all the way up to whatever uh, you believe is the intrinsic value. That sort of transition that happened for the very early entrepreneurs, the very early founders in the traditional world. If you look at, uh, for example, a company that everybody knows today, like Johnson and Johnson, 
back 150 years ago, nobody knew about it except Johnson and Johnson and and uh, the founders of the company, some bankers that were involved, and a, a tightly knit group of investors. That's the same as Bitcoin. So that phase is over. That that foundation phase, and now it's 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 a whole new era, and the speculative appetite is not there. What is there is the same as what we saw with the dot com companies after 2000, where you know you just look at the companies and say, okay, well this company is uh, has something to offer. This doesn't. The internet itself which is equivalent to like a blockchain, is a great industry. So that's what investors in the 2000s, they thought. You know, the internet is, is going to be here. here. Here are applications that can happen on the internet. We can have online sale, you know, e-commerce, etc. There's many applications on the internet. There's many things to do on the blockchain. Not all 1,600, 1,700, 1,800 companies that have raised capital can, you know, actually perform on the idea that they want to do, have the capital necessary to do it, have the marketing power to do it, be competitive to do it and not get out-competed by other entrepreneurs, and have the wherewithal and the resources, the resourcefulness, the imagination to do it. So we just had an, uh, uh, too many companies or too many projects, and therefore too many failures all at once. You know, I hate and, to keep bringing up the, uh, the dot-com bubble, but there's such an analog to this. I mean, I personally went through the dot-com bubble. I joined a a startup company in the late 90s and we went through the same exact thing is that we were not able to to create something fast enough and you know back then you could get you could get funding on on a whim on an idea it didn't have to be anything a cool domain name would get you funding and we had to yeah. go through a bubble back then and the same exact thing seemed to happen so it seems like in today's environment it just seems like every asset class has to go through we have to continue going through these bubbles Bubbles pop, and then eventually, on the other side of the bubble, real value is created. Yeah, I, I'll let you know. I was thirteen um, in 1997, and I was babysitting um, this uh, teenager. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I was a teenager, and I was babysitting this uh, <laughs> six-year-old. And uh, what happened is th- this: this is like the, the dot-com era, and I come to this person's house. This is 1999, if I'm not mistaken, by now. And the guy is in his underwear, uh, just sitting in the afternoon, never home. I've never seen the father. It's always the mother. And the father is home. He's, he's got his underwear on. You know, these speedo types, like, I don't care who's coming into the house, <laughs> whatever. And he's looking at CNN on a huge projector. Now, this is 1999. So that those projectors used to cost, like, you know, uh, four times rents. So uh, this is rare. There were, like, 20 of these in the country. And he's saying, Leo, look, uh, we just sold a company. And now I don't know he owns the company. So I'm looking at the screen. I'm only 15, right? I, I don't know too much about business. And he says, no, it's $4.5 billion We sold to Lucent Technologies. It was like a $200 billion company. And uh, they had an idea of how to have more bandwidth inside of the optic uh, fiber or whatever. Uh, just an idea at that point. Uh, two founders, he and another person took $700 million each. So I was like present seeing the uh, how that happened because like two months later, um, that position, because this was in loose end chairs that they got the, the millions in, it was worth half of it. Not, you know, not that we uh, underestimate 350 mil, but uh, well, just that, to, that probably made an impression upon you when you were that young. I, I 
I actually uh, like two or three months later, I got with my with my banker as I celebrated my 16th, and he says uh, to me, "If you want to start investing as a minor, you'll need to have consent from your parents, like a waiver, and uh, and start investing." And that's that was June of 2000 when I actually started investing as a minor in in uh, publicly traded companies. Three months after the the bubble burst, so um, it, it did inspire. Uh, that, that initial step, and my grandfather was, uh, you know, I told him about this. He gave me two books, one from Warren Buffett, the other one from Peter Lynch. And um, Peter Lynch was actually one of the best performing, the best performing fund manager of the of the 80s. Um, from 1997 to, to 1990, his fund that he managed that had thousands of stocks in it. So this guy was a genius, able to manage a portfolio with about two, 3,000 stocks, uh, something we don't see today at all. Um, and and uh, that that fund generated 29.7% a year. Just to give people uh, uh, a perspective on this, the S&P 500 does about 7.5%, so that's four times the S&P 500, which means in today's world, every client, every institution, every pension fund, everyone will be at the door knocking uh, to that kind of fund. Um, anyways, Peter Lynch uh, retired in, in, in 1990 and at the top of uh, his career and released two books. And in one of them, that my, father, my grandfather gave me, it was all about how his teenage daughter picked some of his biggest winners, like Dunkin' Donuts. And, and so he, he always talks about if you can't understand the company in 30 seconds, it's not the company for you. Uh, like don't, don't get involved in stuff that, that's too, too hard to understand the business model and why it's going to be competitive. Yeah, one of the big I'm I'm one of the big believers that really investing principles don't change over time. Not really. I mean, like uh, there's a book that's out there called The Richest Man in Babylon, which you oh, may yeah. may have heard of before, which yeah. has got the same principles that work today that work. Uh-huh. So, I mean, t- to your point, you know, you're you're picking out a couple of books that are 30, 40 years old, but the principles don't change regardless of the asset class. So, even though crypto's new and everything like that, it's the same thing. A lot of it's about risk management, too. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 for me as a teenager, it gave me the confidence. It says, "Okay, I, what do I know about what, right. what? What are the industries that I'm aware of?" And at the time, I was uh, also uh, working in uh, uh, like a store salesman for for clothing, so I knew brands, and that was when I picked up my first stock. Now, the uh, the Buffett book talked about the power of brands. So those two married the, the the marriage of those two books was. A teenager can focus on companies that he understands and find a brand name, which is a long-term investment uh, if you can find it for, for cheap. Now, that burst of the, uh, the dot-com bubble offered up a cheap um, apparel manufacturer and actually bought those shares back then, and I, I owned them up until a few months ago for about 18 years. The company went up about 1,600% on the appreciation. And the dividend went up 700%. So it's like a very successful investment. It's the number one apparel manufacturer in the world. But wow. um, many people don't know about it. It's, it's a holding company. The brands are very known, but the, the parent company uh, isn't as much. But anyways, to put a long story short, um, the the dot-com era, very keen to what's happening right now. And, and uh, all we need to do is find those victims that have unjust unjustly uh, become too undervalued as as much as they were too overvalued 
um, in 2017. So that's where I'm at. Um, I'm very um, optimistic that some of the crypto projects will be the leaders of this blockchain revolution, which is undergoing and in, in, in place. There's nothing uh, that has changed to make blockchain irrelevant. It's are, not like are something there, came along. Are there a couple of, of well-known projects that you still believe in? Um, I think for for Bitcoin itself is a is a is a project that that has um, characteristics that are not company oriented. The fact that it doesn't have a management team, the fact that it is really the decentralized coin, uh, mm-hmm. will always give it, in my book, um, additional preferences and competitive advantages that other uh, coins cannot um, um, give. And I think that. Uh, still retains uh, the number one priority with me. Um, so I think that is something that uh, that is key. And a second project, which I'm looking at currently, um, I'll, I will be publishing like in-depth information on it. I, I don't want to, um, you know, uh, tell you in advance about it just because I'm, I'm, I'm not sh- ready to share all the details yet. But in the newsletter, um, in, in our free newsletter in Wealth Research Group, we will feature this company probably within the next two, three weeks here. Uh, it's a very undervalued company and unknown, like under the radar as it comes when it comes to uh, these uh, sort of projects. And, and the beauty about it, it's a publicly traded company. So unlike crypto projects that have a limited amount of people that, that can trade them um, for now um, through the brokerage accounts that uh, that uh, exist for crypto projects, this is a traditional company. So uh, traditional investors, which are obviously much more in volume, can get involved. So I, I, I like that angle as well of looking for publicly traded companies that are involved in the blockchain sector. Lior, what do you think is going to happen when some of these, I guess we call them traditional uh, brokerage companies, such as uh, Fidelity, Bakht, uh Goldman Sachs, etc. There's others that are rumored to also be in the space, yeah. and they're going to be bringing millions of customers on board. Do sure. do you think that there's going to be any chance that those people are going to find a way to get into crypto, or does it require some type of custody solution, or maybe futures, or you know what what is it going to take to get those trillions of dollars of investing capital into crypto? Well, I think the the most important thing is is what you just said. The the these institutions, Bucks especially, um, is going to be a custodian service. So the reason that uh, funds cannot enter the crypto space right now for their clients is because they must invest through a custodian services. When, when, when hedge funds buy stocks, McDonald's, Starbucks, etc., they do it through a custodian service. They must have somebody that, that is actually in, in custodial service of, uh, of their ownership. Even you and I, when we invest, um, there's a custodian service involved, even though it's in the background and we don't know about it. Uh, with cryptocurrencies, you own the keys so there is no custodian service, and therefore institutional, investor, institutional investors could get into uh, the crypto space thus far. There's, that's why there's only 35 million people that uh, in the U.S. that have owned Bitcoin or um, a cryptocurrency at some point. And if Fidelity, which is the largest asset uh, manager in, in terms of their brokerage uh, services, and this new company, Buck, that is actually owned by the uh, owner of the New York Stock Exchange, uh, and, and it's the largest exchange operator in the world uh, with some very reputable uh, seed investors like Microsoft, Starbucks is in there, uh, etc. If, if uh, it was delayed from the 24th of January to an unknown date, 
But, you know, uh, these things move along pretty fast, uh, especially when there's so many lawyers involved uh, at the highest level. And then Goldman Sachs, I need to tell you, it's, it's, a, it's a powerhouse bank. Um, That's the for, evil for empire. Good, for, <laughs> yeah, for good or bad. But, but yeah. at the end of the day, they collectively can add about a 12-fold increase in customers to Bitcoin now, uh, and, and to cryptocurrencies in, in general. Now, just imagine the, 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 crypto, uh, uh, the cryptocurrency industry is akin to like a garden hose, and if, if you add these three mega houses together, that's like pushing a basketball into a garden hose. At some point, that garden hose just it has to absorb that size of basketball, and for it to do that, uh, the price has to come up. There is no way to bid up the uh, to bid the price of Bitcoin uh, with a 12-fold increase in potential customers, and for the price to remain the same. So that part of adding these custodian services, uh, this is probably going to be a very positive uh, effect for the price of Bitcoin and for the price of other coins. Now. So uh, I remember it's interesting you say that. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but because I see a lot of chatter around the around Twitter, around just about any discussion group, that there's an association with either whales or institutions as being on the other side of the retail trader pushing the price down. I, I personally disagree because I think an institution is going to go to where they think the value is. And if it is to the downside, it could be to the downside. But I think the easy money's already been made at that point, so it it could very well be to the upside. Well, so Fidelity makes money through uh, charging commissions. Uh, same Bucks will do the same, and Golden Sachs will do the same as well. Uh, there is no incentive for them um, to um, to see the price going down because obviously that creates panic and less commissions for them. Could they be orchestrating uh, some sort of a price reduction in advance of their entering the space? Who knows? Uh, you know, we, we don't know who owns uh, Bitcoin and, and etc. We can follow some of you know the the big wallets etc. Uh, but you know, regardless if they're doing it or not, and we don't we have no evidence of it. It's it's really. You know, it doesn't matter in the long term. Well, every every bank of, is going to have their own trading desk, and every bank is going right. to go where they see the flow of the money going to. So wherever exactly. that, wherever that is, but I, I don't think we. It's it's kind of interesting because we've sort of had this almost in the retail space and the traditional and traditional stocks or options derivatives anything like that. There's always been this sort of loose correlation between the institutional money, the big trading desks, and the retail traders. And the retail traders know that to make money, you can't go against those guys. And so they've learned to coexist in that space. And we haven't quite gotten there yet in crypto. And I think that's something that'll happen down the road. Yeah, sure. It, you know, crypto is a very small industry overall. Uh, you know, if, yeah. if you measure it. Right. Stocks and bonds are about $30, $30 trillion right. uh, industry. And, you know, Bitcoin is like $60 billion, So... It's it's uh, it's peanuts uh, compared to the big money, and um, uh, we sh- we shall just wait and see. the The ideas behind this uh, and the ideas behind tokenization, which is uh, one of the biggest trends right now, um, is is very viable and, and very interesting for companies to be taken a part of. Uh, if a company like Walmart, for example, issues their own coin 
it gives them a lot of predictability as to their cash flow because they know the size of their economy. They know how much to expect in revenue. They can market to your cell phone and say, hey, if you spend two coins today, we'll give you a third coin or something like that. So, so it, the tokenization is far better than a loyalty card, which is der- it's in fiat currency. Uh, this is in their own currency. It's just the most um, uh, important aspect of their business because it gives them a lot of predictability as to future cash flows. They know how much money of uh, uh, how much personal power is out there in any community, any city. So I, I really think that tokenization is like a big, big next step, um, and, and that's going to drive a lot of the um, uh, the price action. And we shall see how Bitcoin uh, definitely. Um, takes part in all of um, in this revolution. Um, so, in general, uh, I love how Bitcoin went down 85 percent, 85 to 90 percent. Very similar to other bear markets. It's just that it went from 20,000 to 3,000. Right. That is huge, but it also went from 32 dollars to two dollars. So, it, it, in percentage, it was the same. It's just that there were like a Five six thousand people that cared about it at that point, <laughs> yeah. and now uh, it, it was a huge event. So I don't see any problem with that. I don't think it stained the progress behind the scenes. It didn't drive away developers, and it didn't drive away traffic. Uh, in 2018, there have been a dub- there's been a double inc- uh, an increase of 100 percent in terms of users. And here's the big thing: um, in, in a recent survey, two thirds of the uh, survey, surveys or whatever you call them, uh, the people surveyed, um, they were they they said positively that if a financial advisor told them to invest in cryptocurrencies, they would. So definitely the the appetite and the um, the idea behind this is very very strong. Absolutely, yeah, and I agree with you on the tokenization too. I think that is going to be the next big wave. That's something that we're we're definitely trying to be at the tip of the spear on. I mean, your imagination can run wild in terms of the applications for tokenization here. So this is like what ICOs should have been and what they can be. That's a, that's that's that. Um, one one last thing I wanted to bring up to you because you're sort of an expert in terms of using gold as sort of like an inflation hedge, or you know, in case the governments go crazy with the fiat currency and just print it to death. Uh, how do you see physical gold versus Bitcoin in terms of perhaps a currency hedge or or sort of a survivability hedge going forward? Yeah, I, I some of the attributes that, that gold has, uh, Bitcoin has as well. Um, and so I, that aspect of uh, being outside of any political system and holding a currency, a medium of exchange, is similar with gold, silver, and with um, uh, with Bitcoin. The, the size of the economy uh, for for gold is is much larger and much more liquid because there are more participants, and it's been around for uh, thousands of years. So that aspect of it, for institutions and governments and central banks, is more appealing to them right now than Bitcoin is. Um, but in general, the the main uh, difference between gold and Bitcoin is the fact that gold is a is a mineral, uh, is an atom out of the out of the earth, and has these uh, attributes that give them 
uh, durability over thousands of years. If you if you you know sunken ship and and those gold that gold is in there, it, it retained its value no matter if it was in the abyss, uh, which is not something you can say about many things, right? Um, it, it has these very unique attributes that societies uh, simply decided were valuable, and they tried many other things, right? Rice was tried as a currency. It, just, it, it, it expires, you know, a few days later. It's uh, exposed to the environment. They tried, uh, you know, stones and shells and salt and silk and uh, whatever else commodities, um, tea, uh, you know, they tried many things. And gold and silver just seem to have the best attributes to, to be called money. Um, in the 20th century, this has been uh, changed radically to where now the, you know, our, our currencies are basically just floating uh, compared with each other, but they have no uh, redeemable quality, so you can't go and redeem them for anything uh, fixed. You can redeem them for gold. You can buy gold, but the price will change every time. So uh, that fixed uh, ability that they lost has allowed governments to simply uh, create more of them, uh, more currency units, and drive themselves into into a debt, you know, an unsustainable debt mountain. And the only reason it, it keeps on going in in an orderly uh, fashion, quote unquote, is because it's legal tender. So it's you know everyone's bound to use it. Uh, but otherwise, if you told every person in the world, hey, look, the, this piece of paper is simply a piece of paper, and, and there's no difference between the fifty and the hundred. It's just it's that written it's fifty that is written the hundred. I could print uh, those kinds of things um, and force everyone else to use them. So it's, a, it's be- actually interesting. Most people don't actually look at what's printed on a dollar bill or any yeah. of the currency. You know, back, yeah, no, back, no. back with the full faith of the U.S. Treasury, this is a Federal Reserve note. So exactly. it's it's a dollar is a Federal Reserve note. So basically, they can print those at will. Yeah. Well, they 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 need to, to have some sort of accountability. So it, it, this project that they're on doesn't uh, go south. But, yeah, it, they can print um, using measures that you and I would find ridiculous. Um, and, and obviously they are ridiculous because we see what happens when they go bad. Uh, so that aspect of it, putting your money, your savings uh, uh, in gold, silver, or in Bitcoin to hedge, I don't know if against inflation as much as just against um, the the problems that can happen um, in, in any economy, and they can lead into inflation. So the U.S. economy can go into a, a recession, and the response from the from the federal government and from the central bank will dissatisfy the citizenry. It, there, so there that they very well could be seizure. There could be a wealth exactly. tax. We're already seeing politicians make noise about instituting a wealth tax, and that's even before yeah. the problems come along. And exactly. so it's interesting if you can get an asset that cannot be seized. Exactly. So that may- it cannot be seized, cannot be confiscated, very secretive, very private. And then uh, with Bitcoin, what's beautiful about it, obviously, is it's very storable. Uh, you know, if, if, if uh, you need space for gold and you don't need space for Bitcoin. So that's um, what, what I think is, is important. Um, uh, this is where Bitcoin has the advantage, right? It's not a physical atom. So you can store it. In, it's in, it's portable. You, know, you can put it here. Yeah. If if you if you're uh, willing to risk it, tattoo but, it on um, tattoo it on your your forearm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, excellent. So I, I think that that's important. Very very good. Well, 
thank you for coming by today, Lior. It's always been fascinating to hear your perspectives on things. How can people learn a little bit more about what you do and and some of the some of the services that you offer at Wealth Research Group? So I think uh, the two best ways, either hit the website, go to the special reports button at the top, and you'll open up a, a great wealth uh, library of download reports that you can have a just a beautiful uh, uh, weekend reading and a lot of education. It's everything we've ever put out um, in, in PDF form, um, just a, a bank of downloads. Uh, but if you want the most current and up-to-date, uh, everything that I share from, from transferring from my brain to the, to the subscriber, just go to the website and, and uh, become a subscriber to, to the free newsletter. That's what most people do. And what website is that again? Wealthresearchgroup.com. Okay, fantastic. Lior, thanks again for coming. Again, my, my guest here today was Lior Gantz of Weth Research Group. And that is it for this edition of Ready, Set, Crypto. So thanks, everybody, and we'll see you in the next edition. Thanks, sir. I talk about these topics and more in our daily market update video on the Ready, Set, Crypto premium newsletter, in our private Discord group, as well as our weekly live trade school coaching sessions that I do with our premium customers. I invite you to join our discussion as we challenge each other to improve. I hope this quick episode has helped you on your journey to profitability. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next podcast.